The following message is made available for you by Emmanuel Baptist Church in Mora, Minnesota. For more information, visit us online at www.emmanuelmora.com. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 3, that is our text for this morning. This is what the, uh, this is what the Apostle Paul uh, wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but has an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. From these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, and constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. If we have food and clothing, we'll be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we come to you who is the great and glorious King. And Father, I pray that you would be with your people, church, today, uh, here in this place, with this message, and with your people uh, around here in the city and in the state and and throughout the world, that your name would be heralded, that uh, people from every tongue, tribe, and nation would sing your praises today. And Lord, that we might see the the end of all things and Christ returning to right every wrong and uh, and to wipe every tear from every eye. And so, Father, with that, would you help us to get a glimpse of the the day to come in how we... Uh, think about truth, how we relate to each other, how, uh, how we just think about uh, uh, your, your doctrine. And so, Father, renew our hearts and renew our minds to conform to the image of Christ, to the preaching of your word today. And it's in Jesus' name that I ask this. Amen. Many of you remember a few years ago when we received around seven inches of rain in one night. Uh, that's a lot of rain in just a few hours, and it caused a lot of problems for for people in this area. And if you weren't uh, busy trying to uh, pump out the water from uh, getting a wet vac and and trying to get a hold of a wet vac to get all that up, then you were probably watching your sump pump be completely overwhelmed with all the the water that was coming in. Uh, Our house was spared from that, but I remember coming into church that morning and, and surveying the damage to see if there was any problems. And, and sure enough, I go downstairs and I, and I see uh, Tim Olson uh, pushing water in the basement over to, uh, to, the, to the storm drain in there to get all of that out. Um, this is what happens when it rains seven inches in just a couple of hours. It's, it's one of the countless examples of cause and effect situations that we see every day. And as we dive back into the the first letter of Paul to Timothy, Paul brings our attention now to two different cause and effect relationships that could lead to either a flood of death or it could lead to pastures of life. And he does this by revisiting the issue that prompted him to write the letter of 1 Timothy 
revisits the issue all the way back in the beginning of the letter, and that is that there are people within the church who have risen to prominence in the church and have uh, started luring and leading people away from the truth that is in Jesus Christ in order to follow false gospels. These teachers were, were leading people into destructive beliefs that had eternal consequences as well as taking advantage of their spiritual position as teachers. And this is important for us to pay attention to because it, it, it points us to the fact that what we believe matters. Ideas have consequences. And what we believe will be an indication of whether or not we have spiritually sick hearts or spiritually flourishing hearts. So let's get right into it here. Let's first, we need to recognize that uh, there is a result of false teaching. Recognize that there is a result of false teaching. In verses 3 through 5, Paul acts somewhat of a theological doctor, and he starts with the, the diagnosis in verse 3. It says, if, uh, if anyone teaches a false doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, and he goes on from there, uh, it might be tempting to look at this verse and come to the conclusion that Paul is is laying out an all-encompassing diagnosis here. That as, as if in order to qualify for this particular spiritual sickness, you need to have all three things of these present. And if you're missing one, then maybe you aren't spiritually sick. However, uh, the, this list of these three things goes hand in hand. If you're someone that is teaching false doctrine, then you're more than likely not agreeing with the, true, with the true doctrine of Jesus Christ. And if you are not agreeing with sound theology, then you can't be practicing true godliness. You can't have one without the other. And in the following verses, Paul is going to get into the particulars of Timothy's context. But perhaps it's best first to, to take a step back and see what this diagnosis truly entails. Uh, at its root, it appears that this issue is a heart issue. To disagree is to disbelieve the clear teachings of Jesus, which lends itself to justifying almost any and all kinds of behaviors and lifestyles that are contrary to uh, the, the true life that comes in following Jesus and the liberty that he brings, and the peace and the joy. If you are, are, are given over to this disbelief, sometimes that, that, that arrhythmia going on in your spiritual heart can feel exciting and good and, and, and give you motivation and, and, and give you energy. And so you become an evangelist of these sorts of things. You, you become a, a teacher Yet our Lord Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 18, verse 6, uh, verse 6, he says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away, well, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and if he were drowned in the depths of the sea. This is just why James warns, warns us in James chapter 3. 
says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. So it's absolutely crucial that we recognize this spiritual diagnosis that Paul here is referring to. It, it, it is a spiritual heart disease that all of us are in danger of, of contracting that displays disbelief and possibly even raising up converts and acolytes through trying to win people over to deadly ideas. This doesn't have to just happen in a Sunday school classroom. This happens in, in everyday conversations around the dinner table, at, at work in the cubicle, at, at, at the, uh, the water dispenser. And sometimes it, it, it happens when someone says, hey, you know what, I've, I've, been, I've been watching this guy on, on YouTube. And a lot of times when someone starts their sentence of, I've seen this person on YouTube, usually that you know, can throw up a red flag. And they say, hey, I've been watching this guy on YouTube and he makes up uh, a, a lot of really good points about Jesus and how he was the first created being and that there's not going to be any physical resurrection in the age to come. Well, when things like that start happening, that person's arteries are starting to become blocked and is in danger of taking others with him or her. So we need to recognize this diagnosis, but sometimes we won't see it unless we see the symptoms that come with it. And we find that starting in verse 4. He says, he's conceited and understands nothing. There's a certain hubris that comes on the part of those who are in the community of the church, yet fall into something that they say is a new teaching. You can often hear them say something like, uh, you know, uh, for the past 2,000 years, the church has, has taught this, but uh, now we're discovering that this is actually true. And usually it means reconstructing the scriptures or reconstructing the context that the scriptures are in in order to fit our current cultural uh, contemporary trends. We've seen that in the woke movement. We've seen that in the LGBTQ plus movement. We've seen that in the evangelical feminism, just to name a few. And long gone are the days of reasoning. And it takes quite a bit of boldness and a lot of ignorance to take 2,000 years of unified understanding within the church regarding the scripture and say, well, you know, we actually know better now. Such attitudes are usually the result of what Paul writes here in verse 4. He is conceited and understands nothing, but has an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. Now, believe me now and hear me later, but there are some people out there that get their jollies from conflict. Like, they just get excited when they get into arguments. It's sort of their thing. Uh, a lot of times you see them online, but they're also in person as well. It's one thing to enjoy a healthy conversation with someone, but it's another thing to want and actually desire conflict with them based on whatever it is that you're trying to do. Paul goes on with more symptoms here. He says, from these come envy. See, this, uh, this, this jealousy that can often come from 
these attitudes of they want to be prominent. They want their teaching to be out there. Quarreling, fighting in order to get it. Slander, you'll often see many people, when they don't have a, an argument logically, they'll just attack the person. Well, forget reasoning. If I can just knock this person's character, then maybe I've won one. Evil suspicions. How much have we seen that? And constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth. Who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. These are pretty vast symptoms here, but they're a good description of both the interior and the exterior symptoms of this heart condition. And so we need to be very careful when we come to a text like this because there is a tendency in our own hearts to point the finger at other people. They're like that. Boy, I can think of a few people that sure would fit this bill here. But instead of pointing the finger at other people's lives and pretending to be a spiritual physician, perhaps we need to log into spiritual WebMD Type in our spiritual symptoms. Find out what's wrong with us. We should ask ourselves, where in my life am I conceited? Do I, in any areas of my life, including social media, enjoy arguing with people? Do I put provocative statements out on Facebook just to get a rise out? Am I happy when I just throw out a verbal zinger? Do I fall into jealousy? Do I speak ill of people to make myself look better when they are not around? Even if I don't realize that's what I'm doing, am I disagreeable? Do I disagree just because I want to be cantankerous? Am I lacking the truth of God's word in my life, making me more depraved in mind, body, and behavior? In Paul's context, these these teachers were falling into the trap of what we call today the prosperity gospel, which simply says that be becoming a Christian and doing certain things as a Christian is going to make me healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. That's what the, the cause and effect would be in that particular argument. So we see on things like TBN happening and and in many usually charismatic churches, but also it happens in evangelical churches a lot more than we think it does. In cunning and tricky ways. It shows us that it's been this way since the beginning. It's always been this way. And it has a deadly prognosis. Look at verses 9 through 10. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You see, money is not bad in and of itself. But money has the power to corrupt. Not only does it have theological consequences, but also think of how many, um, even in this maybe some of us have corrupted ourselves in various ways in order to gain a buck or two or thousands. We've given up parts of ourselves that we can never get back. 
chasing the almighty dollar. And in this way, the pursuit of wealth leads to a certain amount of destruction and temptation. And so the prognosis of this false teaching is not good. Whether it's the prosperity gospel or whether it is, it is destructive teachings, Paul says that the rate of people wandering away from the faith because of these things is very, very staggering. It has consequences both here in this life and in the life to come. Here on earth, it, 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 it results in what he calls piercings with many griefs. Now, I'll quote from the great 1990s theologian, the notorious B.I.G., who once sang, Mo' money, mo' problems. And his point was, the more money that you have, the more problems you see. We don't need Biggie Smalls to tell us that mo' money means mo' problems. Because it springs up problems in our hearts and in our spiritual lives. And on the other side of this world, and in the life to come, wandering away from the faith results in being cut off from life in God and being given over eternally to those things that we desperately chased here in this world that we thought would bring us life, but brings us destruction. So life and death hang in the balance here. So we need to make sure that we recognize the result of the false teaching. But on the other side, we also need to recognize the reward of the true gospel. Recognize the reward of the true gospel. So whereas the false teaching uh, was going on and promising rewards and material gain, uh, Paul tells Timothy now in, in verse uh, 6 here that when it comes to the true gospel, the reward is not in material blessings, but rather the reward is in godliness with contentment. Verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, oftentimes when we think of the gospel, and rightly so, uh, we think of the gospel as, as uh, Jesus' sinless life and his, his death on our behalf, paying the, the price for our sins that we rightly deserved and giving us uh, pardon and forgiveness, the clearing of a guilty conscience, uh, Christ's righteousness being given to us by faith and our unrighteousness given to him uh, by faith as well. Uh, all those types of things we rightly think about when we think about the gospel, but sometimes we miss what the gospel practically does for us in the day in and the day out. We often forget that the gospel, did I go out of batteries here? Am I on still? Okay. Uh, we often forget that the gospel also helps us to live godly lives. Whereas uh, before we knew Jesus and Lord, as Lord and Savior, we were enslaved to sin with no hope of doing anything else. The only thing that we wanted to do was to sin. And now in Christ, we have a new nature that is able to reject the sin and live towards God. And many of our problems would be resolved if we remembered that the gospel doesn't just take care of our future after death. 
but it is also the means by which we can avoid and fix a lot of the problems and the hurts in our lives today. And one of the hidden gems in the new life in Christ, I fear that many of us don't take advantage of, is this idea of contentment is ours in Christ Jesus. How many of us on, uh, on a daily or even hourly basis are so preoccupied with what we don't have or what we lack in our persons or in our abilities. We might look in the mirror every morning and step on the scale every morning and say, what, what, what happened here? Or maybe we want intellectual abilities that we don't have. I wish I was smarter. I wish I was better looking. I wish that I had this particular skill. Or maybe you wish that uh, you, know, you could have a certain thing. Black Friday is coming up very soon here this week, and how many of us are going to thumb through the ads and all of a sudden see something that we've never thought we've needed before? But hey, it's a good deal. And now I think this thing is a, a need. And I need to get this because maybe one day I, I will actually need it. This is so hard in the United States right now where we're constantly bombarded with advertisements telling us what we don't have and how our lives would be better if we do have them. The deck is stacked against us when we live in a culture and a world that makes a lot of money off of your discontentment. You and I need to take hold of this godliness and this contentment. It's, it's a greater gain than winning all the money in any lottery that could ever be. And Paul grounds this now in verse 7. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Now, I've said this before, but it's worth saying again. I've done a lot of funerals here. And in my previous church, I have yet to see a hearse towing a U-Haul trailer. Because we can't take any of our stuff with us. We come into this world with breath and life, and we can't even leave this world with breath. Whatever we have now will not go with us into the next. And it should be a sobering reminder and a repellent that materialism is pointless. That car, that boat that you desperately want will one day be owned by someone else or end up in a junkyard somewhere. There are countless examples that I could provide for this principle, and it's not that having stuff is wrong. It's an issue of the heart. Where is your heart in this? Is your heart constantly saying, more, more, more? Or is your heart resting in the fact that all you have and all you need is Christ? And he will give you more and more and more of him. No, I'm, I'm not sure that verse 8 is an absolute. Paul writes, if we have food and clothing, we will be content you notice that Paul doesn't put shelter in here? 
That's just a side note, but I thought that was very interesting that he doesn't even mention that. He just mentions food and clothing. But I tend to think that he's giving a generalized statement here and saying that if everything was stripped from us in our lives, if our house burned down, if we were ending up like, like Job, can we be content? Everything we know is stripped away from us and all we have are these things. I'm reluctant to say that this is an absolute, especially when we look at other biblical data. In Romans chapter 8, Paul capitalizes on this idea uh, that Christ is all that we need. And if we're experiencing his love and his fellowship, then we're good to go. In Romans chapter 8, verse 35, Paul says, Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Folks, what happens when there's a famine? There's no food. He even says the word nakedness. What does that mean? No clothing. So how can Paul then say to Timothy that if we have food and clothes, then we're content? Go on to Romans 8, 37-39. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything, uh, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, yes, food and clothing is good. But even if those are stripped away from us, We can't take those into the next life. But we can take the love of Christ and his fellowship with us. uh, He ends up saying this in Philippians chapter 4. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself. I know how to to make do with little. I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or need. There it is right there. I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, there is a very typically misapplied verse. Here, Paul is talking about contentment. It's where the rubber meets the road. If you're here today and you have Christ as your Lord and Savior, don't just settle for salvation from sin and death. But open the doors to the storehouses of benefits that we have in Christ. We have the opportunity to grow in godliness. We have the opportunity to shed our souls from the addiction that we have to the stuff of this world. There is great reward in the gospel. Ask Christ to do this work in your heart. I need it just as much as you do. And it's ours. 100% of it is ours. We simply need to ask, take it by faith, and work toward that end. Denying the flesh's inclinations to want and take and indulging in the grace 
offered to us in Jesus Christ. And life is a series of cause and effect situations. If you never brush your teeth, you will probably get gingivitis and probably end up getting gum disease. Uh, if you don't set your alarm, you're going to be late for work. If you leave the ice cream on the counter, it will melt. If you touch a hot pan, you're going to get burned. If you trust in a false gospel, it will ruin you. But if you trust in Christ crucified, the true gospel, you will receive life now and in the age to come. The gain that you will get is not locked up over in a vault at Neighborhood National or First Citizens or, or even Minco. It's locked up in your soul. Godliness and contentment is yours in Christ. Trust in him and take up these things for yourself. You have been listening to a message from Emmanuel Baptist Church in Mora, Minnesota. You are welcome to pass this message along to others, but please don't charge for it or alter it in any way without written permission from Emmanuel Baptist Church. This message has been made available by the generous supporters of Emmanuel Baptist Church. For additional information about how you can partner with Emmanuel, please visit us at www.emmanuelmora.com. There you will find more free messages and links to ministry opportunities to help you grow in your faith. If you are watching on YouTube, please click the subscribe button to always receive the latest messages. Thanks again for listening. Emmanuel Baptist Church, Mora, Minnesota. Knowing Christ and making Him known.